Welcome to episode three of Legal Fiction. Already forgetting what number we're on. It's we're... really amazing we've made it this far. Uh, <laughs> so all credit to you, Joe. So with that being said, I'm your host, Joe. Joined by you, just heard my our co-host, Spencer. You. Uh, so yeah, I mean, how's your week going? That's good, man. It's good. Weather's been good here in the flyover states. If it maxes out temp-wise at like 75 in the day, it's like glorious glorious so i can just throw a flannel on at by like 4 p.m and just like right out the night with a little chill in the air it's got the hope you know springing eternal of spring mixed with the wonderful weather of football season so yeah like in about a month i'm gonna be cursing the sun when i go outside a month shit man four days like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna it's, it's gonna turn quick oh, fuck. but Wait. uh yeah beyond that uh i don't know uh How's uh, the law work been for you this week? Boring as usual. Uh, okay, nothing, good. nothing really too big. Uh, the only big thing in my life is, like you said, we're in the Midwest, so the whole trend of super churches is something I see every day. And I live in a a decent sized city, and I live next to a park, like a big city park. And this last weekend, they had a three goddamn hour long service. And I'm not talking like church, you pray, you get up the preset. I'm talking like one of those, like where an entire band plays Jesus music for three hours straight. They had a praise band. They had yeah. a bunch of bad haircuts and tight fitting t-shirts. It was shirts. like right. some preacher that he said, because I could hear every word of the service. He was drove up from Texas and they went for literally like three to four hours. Some dude on the uh, deck next to me started blasting Beyonce to try to drown them out at one point. Also, there's a fountain at this park and they were just baptizing people in the fountain. So I was like that dirty city water. That's how you're going to be reborn in Christ. Oh, OK, like. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, knowing the fact that a junkie probably like deposited a number of like bodily <laughs> fluids into that pool just eight to 12 hours prior to, I mean, that's consistent. No, that's truly consistent. Uh, with some Christ healing Christ. powers. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Like, well. So that was, that was the highlight of my week so far. <laughs> uh, right on, right on. Well, other than uh, watching this movie, that I'm excited to talk about because I'd never seen it before. Holy shit. This movie's fucking awesome. It's The Verdict. Uh, stars Paul Newman. We'll get to that in a second. The other highlight of my week is like, I don't like just spending money just like willy-nilly. And that applies to any number of things, including video games, which is like, as a, you know, white male of a certain age, that's just baked into the culture for me. So yeah, I'm going to game a little bit here and there. And, you know, finally bought Star Wars Battlefront 2. Finally got around to buying Star Wars. Yeah, like a t- so, okay, so like what? I'm like three years behind the curb, whatever. Like the price was right, man. It was dirt cheap on the Xbox. I don't know. Something about May the 4th really got into me. <laughs> just uh, made me need to pull the trigger. And so played it on my big TV and, uh, you know, with my little cheap sound bar that I've got on there. I fully appreciated just how bad I am at video games starting <laughs> playing this. Like I, I've had doses of it, uh, you know, playing your other shooter type games like Call of Duty, but good Lord, like it is just tough to track. And uh, that being said, like it's a quality video game, Joe. 
would highly recommend. There's no uh, cross-platform compatibility. Just uh, so like, you know, I'm, on, I'm still in the Xbox and you're doing your own thing. So I don't think we could link up if you wanted to. But yeah, I'm, I'm on the PC now. I did play, what did I buy? Shoot. It was the one that had um, the dude from uh, Shameless was like motion capture person you for it. Casey? No, not that one of the kids. Oh, uh, oh, oh you had uh, you had uh, the Jedi Fallen Order one. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. no, no, that game rules. Yeah. Uh, I may or may not have kind of stalled out on it because I still haven't been able to beat the final final boss. Yeah. Well, talking about getting screwed, going into some legal news. Every state has its own bar, but it also has its own sort of like bar association, which are not the people that certify the lawyers they just kind of throw networking gigs and stuff like that but the pennsylvania bar president was removed because he was patronizing prostitutes and sending them money (laughs) which like just i have always had this point that there needs to be some sort of like technology cle that (laughs) needs to be like part of like you have to take it every so many years because some of these people like you realize everyone can see that (laughs) like you just pay them via venmo you can see that. Yep. Yep. I'd also like to uh, gather around all of the, you know, not to, not to profile, but male attorneys from the ages of 45 to 70 and just sit them down for 20 minutes and explain to them why this like ridiculously good looking Eastern European <laughs> just friended you on Facebook why a you should ignore that friend request and b definitely don't interact with them i'll just sit them down and be like yo does this person have more than five numbers in their username if they do don't respond yeah that's fair moving on to the next topic of news i don't know if you'd seen recently how instead of you know choosing to spend their money on like social programs the city of New York decided to hire a police dog, but not a real police dog, a robot police dog that would roam around neighborhoods and report crime or something. Like and, McGruff, but the Terminator. So, yeah, like McGruff, but could kill you. Well, that dog got fired. It was a $94,000 contract with Boston Dynamics. De Blasio was quoted as saying, I'm glad that DigiDog was put down, which like, Okay, but yikes, dude. That's how you put it. Like, I'm glad that dog got put down. Like, you yeah. have to refer, we know it's not a real dog. So, why do you refer to it like that? And also, $94,000. Like, okay, good. You don't have this police dog anymore, but you spent 94 grand on like two months of having this. Oh, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, that's the salary of what? That's like what? Like a third of a salary for your entry-level cop in new york uh because <laughs> they have an incredible union and good for them uh like, w- way to hold on to that capital yeah, that's a drop in the bucket from the settlements that they have to give out so no kidding no kidding uh can you detail so why'd they fire the robot dog seems like a foolproof plan <sighs> doesn't it I, I think one, it was basically like there was a ton of backlash against because people are like, why are you spending all this money on militarized dog to go around our <laughs> our neighborhoods when like people are homeless? I don't know, man. You, you, I, those two problems sound like a solution to me. You combine <laughs> them. That dog will take care of it. I mean, that may not be the de Blasio's line, but I think most New York attorney or New York mayors would be fine with that. 
like, okay, so like two months ago, a video <laughs> showed this dog responding to a hostage situation. Imagine you call the cops because someone has taken you hostage and a fucking dog shows up to save you. <laughs> and not only that, it's not even a real dog. Like all it can do is call the police to come. But you already did that and this fucking dog showed up. I swear to God, this is a Simpsons episode. I know <laughs> they've done this. I know it. Like this is like peak si- season six or seven content. So speaking also of things wanting to throw down, you sent me this article of some Arkansas judge was like just looking to throw down in Jesus the parking God. lot with the, it was the former speaker of the house or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, God bless you, Arkansas. I mean, you are a fountain of content. You're not quite Florida man, but Arkansas man has got a lot of juice. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. But yeah, like in this video, and we could even link to it in our description just because it's that good. (laughs) Uh, Long story short, the former speaker of the Arkansas House of Representatives, uh, you know, Republican, obviously, uh, like is in- It's Arkansas, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly is up there in, uh, you know, Fayetteville and, uh, or wherever up in Northwest Arkansas and uh, to meet his son who's a college student. And, you know, it's a family event that we're going to meet up, uh, you know, grab some dinner and go for a walk around campus. Importantly, this was well after five o'clock. The son, who's a college student, pulls into a empty parking lot that says no parking nine to five. And he's like, well, it's not five. So I'm going to park here. God bless this Arkansas city is not as militant as other, you know, flyover state cities in terms of, uh, you know, monetizing any parking space period. But have you ever been like in a city and you can tell like where they've replaced the parking meters so far? Cause like you'll find one of those old ones where it's like 25 cents buys you an hour. But if you go to like the like gentrified area of the city, 25 cents buys you like 15 minutes. I, I, I can I can point you to the intersection in the city that I live in here in the flyover states where that jump occurs. <laughs> I have encountered it and I was baffled by it and I actually stress tested it and parked <laughs> them both just to make sure that I wasn't going crazy. And I mean, I may still be going crazy, Joe, but there was a dollar differential there. And I was blown away by that <laughs> yeah. fact. Uh, but you know what? Hey, the city's got to get revenue uh, so long as they're putting that revenue to decent social services as opposed to just uh you know jacking up robot dogs yeah, so uh, police need a tank yeah well to be honestly you know joe if you and i put up a gofundme with like three of our listeners we could probably get enough money to <laughs> buy a tank through the <laughs> army relief program not an issue i mean these guys are paying pennies on the dollar for that stuff but uh we'll start yeah, a patreon yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> yep Buy Joe a tank. Let's do it. This college kid met his dad and mom, you know, in Northwest Arkansas on a beautiful night. The dad, mind you, former state speaker of the house, uh, rolls up and sees this middle-aged man and another man, like, berating his son, who's just probably defenseless, like, whoa, what the hell did I walk into? Dad walks up to try to resolve the situation, and there's a fella with a cane and a gun holstered <laughs> in, like, like, in, like, in classic fucking flyover state 
bro douche attire of khakis and you know nice dress shirt tucked in and but with us with a you know smith and wesson or like you know Beretta like just like locked into his little holster there and not even like concealed. Like it's gotta look cool. I'm gonna let you know I'm operative. And, and like and the fellow just walks up to him and says, Hey, what's the issue? Suddenly the son is out of the situation. The son, I'm presuming from this video, is the one who decides to start rolling video on his dad trying yeah. to talk to this asshole. But this guy took offense as a judge, be like, that's my 24 hour, seven days a week spot. And I've got a cane and a gun and I'm in your face and yelling at you. Then we got a video, uh, which is delightful to watch because at a certain point you just see this faux badass middle-aged Arkansas judge, you know, chesting up. And then at a certain point with his gun, you know, gun on one side and his hand on it, tosses his cane as though that's the flex. Like, <laughs> good God, like it, it, it just, whoo. And the interesting thing about this guy, this judge, by the way, uh, media's reported that multiple people have filed complaints with the Arkansas Judicial Disability and Discipline Commission. He's going to be investigated and probably subject to sanctions for this. It wouldn't be his first time, this judge. He's been sanctioned before by them by, in one instance in arranging a meeting between a juvenile offender and the offender's mother, uh, contrary to rules because the mother was an employee of his or worked in his office. And then there was another instance where he set a fairly low bail for a rape suspect who was a former client of his. So they uh. take him on that too. This is also the asshat who a year or two back, there was a high profile I think murder trial in his court. And he said, I will have no recording in my courtroom and judges do have the prerogative to be able to say that kind of thing. If they just... And there were multiple reporters there and no one was recording except one TV reporter who wasn't recording with a camera or her phone or anything. She was just recording the audio of the event so she could take notes and to make sure that she had accurate notes for her reporting. The judge found out about that instead of, I don't know, get court staff involved to let her know that's in violation of things, don't do that, or you're not welcome back to the courtroom during these proceedings for this trial. Instead, this judge decided to hold her in contempt of court, and she did three days in jail for recording. So this guy's a real peach. Uh, he's truly Northwest Arkansas. It fits to a T. There's like a couple things that, and I don't know Arkansas that well, but there's like a couple things with this. So I'm like, one, it's after five. Why is the judge still there? Two, he's coming out of the courthouse to confront this kid and he has a gun on him. So this judge can just carry a gun into a courthouse. Seems kind of weird. These are all reasonable questions, Joe. <laughs> uh, quite frankly, I think there is no shortage of fringe right-wing fuckery legislation going around <laughs> over the last few years, uh, entitling people to all sorts of rights when it comes to whether it's the Second Amendment or the ability to uh, prevent someone from using their 14th Amendment. Uh, it's, just, it, it's a wild west. That reminds me of a funny story. So back when I was touring which law school to go to, I won't mention what law school, but, and they had a session where the parents go off one way, students go off one way, and have your own sessions together. 
then you come back together and it's like one of those like ice cream socials. Why are people still <laughs> doing ice cream socials? Why? <laughs> but I just randomly started talking to this one professor. My dad walks up and he's like, oh yeah, he's talking about the parent session. He goes, yeah, we, this one professor was telling us about like how like the professors here are lo- actual practicing lawyers. And one of them apparently is like bringing suit against the university because they're saying that professors should be able to carry guns on campus. And the professor that I'm talking with just goes, yeah, that's me. I'm the one bringing that case. And my dad just has to like code switch and go, oh, uh, interesting. And the guy's just like, yeah, do you want to hear more about it? My dad's like, nah, that's, that's all right. I don't, I don't know much about that. <laughs> and, and like, so then we just like kind of ended the conversation and went somewhere else. But he was just like, of all the professors that I could have gotten when I was telling that story. <laughs> So moving from guns to uh, other ways that people die uh, in entertainment news, we're recording this about a week or two after uh, both the Oscars and Mortal Kombat came out. So two great pinnacles. One in film. is more important than the other. <laughs> I have watched Mortal Kombat. I know you haven't yet. I'll say it still rocks, but it also kind of sucks at the same time. I'm not listening to this. I'm, I'm fuck it, man. Third grade Spencer deserved a better Mortal Kombat <laughs> movie than the one that came out. That shit sucked. <laughs> Mortal Kombat Annihilation was, I didn't even oh, finish it God. as a kid. I didn't even finish it as a kid. I was like, this is bad. So like, this one has to be good. All right, they're going to do it. If you, if you like the video games, you'll like this movie. The story itself, I was like, eh. but the fighting scenes and all that stuff was awesome. Like, it was all really right. cool. Uh, And uh, it is Mortal Kombat. Like, it's not the PG-13 90s version. Like, it gets very gory, which is sweet. Fair enough, seeing as how you've implicitly suggested that you're an an old school uh, Mortal Kombat head. (laughs) Of the original Mortal Kombat, who's your fighter? Pick your fighter. (laughs) I mean, I I always picked Raiden just because I thought he looked the coolest. Because, like, you couldn't see his face. He yeah, I mean, like, guy. and like, how when you not win on any fight, All when right. you go through that, you're like, how can you beat him? Jump. <laughs> and like, there's other ones like Gore looks cool, and honestly, the ones that are like the main characters in both this one and the earlier ones were never really the ones that I picked because they were the most boring. Like they, they were like, the humans. They were the yeah, like Liu Kang, Johnny Cage. It's all like, yeah, you're just you're just regular people. That's not fun. Yeah, but, Johnny Cage is lame. Johnny Cage is uh, sus at best. Like, <laughs> Liu Kang's legit. Like, he's cool. Like, you respect the, the, the flying jump kick. But uh, they're based on badasses because Liu Kang was based on Bruce Lee and Johnny Cage was based on Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, I didn't know the second part there. That's yeah. interesting as hell, man. Oh, no wonder he's so fucking short. My fighter, like, not that you asked, <laughs> uh, my fighter was Scorpion. Like I am oh, a yeah. basic ass dude. I'm, but like Scorpion, like child Spencer was just like, he saw older kids playing that and he saw all of the fighters come through and he saw Scorpion being like, and I don't even like the color yellow, but I was like, that's my dude. Like that's the dude. So I'll say if, if Scorpion is your favorite, you will like the newest one. Cause they do him good. They did him they dirty him in the, the first, first movie. They yeah. punked him out hard in the first one. Jo- Scorpion does not lose to Johnny Cage like that. Come on. <laughs> no, if you, if, you like, if you like Scorpion, they do Scorpion and Sub-Zero really well in this newest one. Good. Well, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I guess but, we'll move past our, uh, <laughs> our 
Super Nintendo game note liner notes. Um, yeah, move on. Good. To uh, uh, any other news? Well, I mean, we're recording this a couple weeks after, but the Oscars happened. It was apparently like the worst viewed Oscars in the history, which like I don't necessarily blame on the Oscars because like it was 2020. Like, not a lot of movies came out. Not no one really went to the movies because you couldn't for a long time. I don't blame the low viewership on like that because not a lot of people were able to see the movies that were nominated for like these awards. Yeah. There is still the whole thing where it's like sometimes the movies that are nominated for Oscars, like no one really sees them, but they win. But I, I, I did watch Nomadland. I thought it was really good. It wasn't my pick for the best movie. I didn't watch the father, which Anthony Hopkins won best actor for. I haven't seen that. I've heard it's very good. And was that his first Oscar? You know, I, I'm willing to bet no, but... Okay, keep talking, let me look. But it may be. But the whole thing with that, too, was they normally the best picture is the last award that they give out. Well, this time they moved it to best actor was the last award. And everyone thought, oh, it's because Chadwick Boseman is going to win for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Okay. And instead, they're just like, and Anthony Hopkins. And then they just kind of like cut. They're like, okay, thanks, everyone, for coming. That's the end of the Oscars. And I was just like, oh... Yeah, man, that's his only Oscar win. That's that's really surprising because he's been like a very reputable actor for so long. Yeah, he stopped being a that guy 30 years ago. <laughs> like, I mean, like he, he, he's a true uh, artist and transcends the craft. Uh, yeah, I, I remember the social media outrage on that. And, you know, spoiler, I, I, I didn't bother tuning in because... Uh, well, I hadn't seen all the movies this year, and I am a former Oscar head. Used to love that stuff, but also, here's my beef, Joe. <laughs> you look at those Best Picture nominees, the vast majority of those, no one who does not have a master's or higher degree has seen. And Period. I think, and that's what I'm saying. Th- I think this and, and, year and, and, you can uh, give a uh, little uh, bit because of like, they're only in limited releases because of it. But I do agree with you that normally it's like this movie came out and maybe a couple people saw it, but it wasn't like a very popular movie. And that's very for different example, from the original Oscars. To, yeah. For example, I have yet to meet any person outside of you uh, who has seen the artist. I'll, I'll watch almost any movie. And I understand that like most people did not have the childhood that I had with movies where our family makes a who can guess the most right on every Oscar night and you win like a prize at the end. Like most families don't do that. I understand yeah, that's, that. That's but, pretty fucking cool though. I, I, I appreciate <laughs> that tradition. But at the same time, like what you said, like it's become where it's basically the movie that is one made to basically just be an Oscar movie and to the one that schmoozes the voters the most. It happens more with the Golden Globes where they just, there's so much of the budget that is just there to like wine and dine like the Hollywood foreign press, but with the Academy too, just to win. And it's a very apparent to me this year that multiple things from fucking hillbilly elegy were nominated. And that movie sucks. <laughs> like it just yeah, I sucks. Got, I got 45 minutes into it and just got angry and stopped. Like... So bad. They did Glenn Close so dirty because she is such a good actor also jd vance can suck it he sucks he sucks Uh, so much movie that we're talking about this week if you haven't 
heard from what Spencer said or looked at the title, it is The Verdict, which is a 1982 movie. 82, but it feels like it was shot in 78. Like, it looks it so old. Like it's hit the 80s. Like it looks, and that's the crazy thing is like, I was like, oh, this has got to be like a 70s movie, right? No, 1982, which means uh, Paul Newman was like in his 50s when he shot this, right? Yeah, and he both looks like that and doesn't. <laughs> Because that Paul fucking Newman. He's Ugh. timeless, man. Like, he's oh. timeless. Oh. <laughs> Such uh, a good-looking dude. still my beating heart for that man. Oh. So, yeah, so, yeah, he was born in 1925, which means he was... Depression. He was just barely below 60 when they shot this, basically. He just missed World War II. Like, <laughs> like, like actually, no, he, he could have actually enlisted if he'd wanted to. Shit. Paul Newman, which... From acting to salad dressing just kills it, is the main character in this movie. And we start off basically right away with him in the movie, which I did point out. This movie, it has like a nice like where it kind of like it plays with the cast a little bit showing up, but it also has like this nice little scene with him. It also has just that classic tattoo font for the title. That's like looks like if you imagine what GTA San Andreas that's basically the same font that they use for this for all their titles. Uh, it's him just playing pinball, which I don't know why they keep showing throughout the movie him playing pinball, other than just he's at the bar a lot. I really dig that as a, a device for the director and the storyteller. I think yeah. it's really great. I mean, he's at this bar and drinking beer out of one of those old beer which glasses. I wrote down in my I notes, did. beers from like old movies always look so good. I don't oh, know what it is yeah. about that, like classic glassware. They look so refreshing in like seventies and eighties movies. They always look so good. Conversely, though, food in seventies and eighties movies always looks disgusting. Like it oh, looks yeah, like yeah. the most vile oh. stuff. Yeah, you watch this movie, you're gonna see sandwiches come into play. They're like, <laughs> I could have made that sandwich hungover <laughs> and like in a rush, and it would look better. Uh, but the beers, like, no, no, they've got that old. I mean, it's a it's a nostalgia and it's beautiful glass and you know he's drinking old milwaukee or <laughs> miller genuine draft or at, i don't know this is this is boston split. so he might be drinking like yingling or something yeah, too actually you know you're right it is boston so that you know that's a yingling pour you know uh, that's our flyover state bias coming <laughs> into play once again you know we just expect people to come to our level he, he, he's playing pinball and that comes up repeatedly but given his character you can kind of see how he would fall to that as sort of a baseline to like yeah. measure his life. Jesus. He's just hanging out at the bar all the time, but you can also tell he's just a drunk. He, I think pays the funeral director off to go into the funeral. The first one, at least. I think it's implicit. Yeah. He's also like, you can tell he's like a hard drinker. Cause there's a spot in between where he, uh, he's trying to take a shot, but his hands are shaking so much that he can't uh-huh. take the shot. So uh-huh. I'm like, Ooh, you are in the throes of alcoholism right now. Cause he has to like lean down and like sip it out of the shot. Uh, I had to explore. Like, I watched this one. Uh, I had never seen this movie before. Neither in my girlfriend, Sarah, who you know, good friends of Joe's. Well, she didn't understand the shaking thing, nor did she understand the eye drops or, that he's regularly dropping in throughout this movie. She's like, what's wrong? Cause I don't like, he is a drunk. That is what actually is very difficult in watching this movie as a human. And also as an attorney, 
where you're just like, Jesus, dude, like you are the four to seven or eight drink, like input of interpreting reality right now. Frankie has a problem. He's like trash in his office because like he's had no cases. He's making no money. He's down on his luck. He's an alcoholic. And it uh, being Boston, there are multiple crucifixes just like everywhere. <laughs> it's like, very Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Like, like between the like setting shots of like the shitty like Boston neighborhoods, which would cost, you know, now like, you know, a million dollars to buy an apartment in these things. Then there's like these dilapidated things not off the sh- far off the shore. But oh, no, we're Catholic and it's Boston. So, um, yeah, yep. with these accents for the rest of the movie. His former law professor, which I thought was kind of interesting, comes in because he was his former law professor and he like worked with him after he graduated, played by Jack Warden, comes in and is just like, what the hell? It shows that he's just a good dude because he just cares about him enough that he's just going to give him this case that he's like, it's an easy win. It's an easy payday. I know you need something. So here, I'm going to give this to you. It's two weeks to trial and Frankie... (laughs) has done nothing in the world of non-law being like oh i've got a project due in two weeks and i haven't done anything well better get started no 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 no, <laughs> no, no, no. But, yeah, yeah, like, that's the the real world equivalent of like uh like go back to college like oh you have an exam for a class that you realize you were in and you went to the final lecture going over what might be on the exam that's what that is like Christ. He gives him this case. Uh, he still is at the bar, which I point out, this is like one of those just like great dive third shift bars. Oh, where like, out there. Like, yeah. yeah, it opens at 6 a.m. It's serving beer immediately because it's for those third shift people that when they get off work, they want to have a beer before they go home because they got the eggs right there. He Four cracks legs, an egg man. and a beer. Like, keg, like kegs and eggs just does a, does a beer egg and he's ready to head out. You ever uh, had an egg at a bar? An egg at a bar? Yeah. I've had cooked eggs at a bar through like a college kegs and eggs, but I've never just done the crack an egg in a beer and drink it. Yeah, I, I kind of want to try that. So then he goes to the hospital, which is like, this hospital is rough. Like he goes there, there's like almost 20 people to one room, just like stacked together. They're not being taken care of, really. Like, it just, it looks rough. And you can tell she's in bad. She's in a coma. Can't respond. And he's just there to kind of look at her sheet, take some notes. So she was having a child. She was under some sort of anesthetic. And it was the wrong anesthetic to give to her because she had eaten one hour before. Allegedly. Yes, before the uh, delivery. Because of that, she threw up in her mask, choked, oxygen wasn't getting to her brain because of the time that she was without oxygen to her brain. She is now in a coma. And like there for better purposes will always be that yeah, sort of no, way. She's a, uh, I don't believe this is a, an appropriate term anymore, probably, but she's a vegetable. Uh, yeah. I mean, she is going to be like effectively bedridden and like basically like they say, like she will not be able to function without proper care. Yeah. And importantly, this is a, this was handled by a Catholic hospital and the diocese is in control here. And she is like, her fate is going to remain in the diocese care until she, until she passes away. 
Yeah. Yes. And at one point there, there's a quote from the uh, Cardinal Bishop, whomever, who says it was God's will, which I'm like, God, yikes, man. Yikes. Like he's like, it must've been hold God's on will. On the Cardinal. I want to get to him later. Hold on. Hold on the Cardinal. Let's uh, on. So he meets with the sister of his client. Who's the one coming to him to hire. And he talked with her about a contingency, which is, I think in his case, he says he's going to take a third yeah, of whatever third. the, which is yeah. pretty standard. At the same time, he himself is having himself run down by the diocese attorney to the cardinal or bishop, whomever he is. This was one of the, my favorite scenes, uh, not only for exposition, uh, because in this scene, we get a sense of who this drunkard is. Like, how is Paul Newman, this handsome <laughs> son of a bitch, debased himself to this point? I, I paused it at this scene so I could see his resume and like write down the notes from it. So he went to Boston College Law. Graduated second as class. He was on the, yeah, he was on the dean's list, all this stuff. So I, I like that they put him as a Boston College lawyer because Boston College is still a very good law school. But yeah. I like that they just didn't go with the, oh, he went to Harvard because we're in Boston. Like, I like that they went with like one of the other ones. Well, they went with BC because it's a Catholic school. Very yeah. Catholic school. I mean, I mean, like... This whole story, like this mo entire movie is super Catholic. <laughs> yeah, as someone who grew up in the Catholic church, it was just like watching a regular movie. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, they, they have like everything under, like he's divorced. He resigned over some potential jury tampering charges. Nine uh, years after becoming a partner. So yeah. He made a partner at a white shoe law firm, nine years into it, had to resign kind of forced out under some strange circumstances. Yeah, which we learn about more later. Actually, not as bad as we maybe think. But now he's like, they say he's just an ambulance chaser. And in the last three years, he's tried four cases and he's won none of them. Yeah. Oh, and four in three years. He's beating with clients at the same time. One of the things that he says, he's like, we'll win this case. I was like, you can't say that, man. I know that they got a good case, but you really can't say that because you're opening yourself up for a lawsuit here. And, and on the flip side of that, they have the, the like this movie's great. It has the it has the mere discussion with the with the cardinal and their legal counsel. And they go, well, so like and they're talking about settling and the, the church even realizes this is a bad case. We want to settle. We don't want to hear anything about this. And he go, attorney goes, well, you know, and Cardinal asks the attorney, will we win? Well, you know, it's always dangerous at trial. He at least gives that necessary preface. Yeah. And yeah. then the Cardinal goes, will we win? And he goes, yes, we're going against this shithead. Like, <laughs> fine. Like, which I'm less concerned about than Paul Newman's being like, oh, no, we got a good case. We're going to win this thing. Like, like, oh, man, don't don't promise anything. Yeah. Uh, so then he goes to meet with who's going to be his expert witness, which is Dr. Gruber, who Mustache. I think, does he work in the same hospital as yeah, these doctors? I, that's, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. I think he does. Um, which is just, it's one, he's like, he seems like a very good doctor, but at the same time, this is like such a, an old eighties hospital because he's just smoking a stogie, like walking through the halls of this Full hospital. Stogie. No shame about it. Like I Get to his car and he's like, come to the lockers next week. We'll talk. He's and he's he shows that he's a pretty noble guy because he's like, why are you doing this? He's like, they're bad doctors. They they hurt people. I want I want to get them out of here. Paul Newman is excited, but he's kind of excited for the wrong reasons because he's he's basically just excited. He's like, 
I'm going to get a lot of money here. Like you can tell he's just excited about a payday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like talking it up at the bar. He then sees Laura, I believe is her name, played by Charlotte Rampling, who he's like, hey, I just had a good day. And she's like, well, I'm trying to find an apartment. And she just plays them off, which I was like, I get it's for the purposes, but I'm like, if Paul Newman came up to you at a bar and hit on you, like, you're really telling me you're going to blow that guy off? That's Cool Hand Luke. You're going to tell Cool Hand Luke no? That's Butch Cassidy. (laughs) Like He can talk his way out of or into anything. One thing I'd like to point out, though, like, okay, here's some law nerd shit that we're going to impart. This, you know, Frankie, uh, Paul Newman's attorney, has decided to approach his quote-unquote expert witness. A doctor is going to be like, oh, yeah, uh, these doctors screwed up and uh, effectively uh, vegetableized this woman. Approaches him less than two weeks before trial. And then he says, oh, well, can I get you for a deposition? Yeah, talk to me in a few days. It's like, you know, week before trial. Like In the reality, that would be something that would happen at minimum six months before trial, if not longer before, you just don't get to pull the your silver bullet uh, yeah. witness, uh, a week or two before trial. That doesn't work that way. Yeah, the real the real legal world is much more boring where there's no like surprise witness that you get to call. Then he goes he goes back to the hospital just to like take some Polaroids, prepping for trial basically by taking these. But it, the main point of the in the movie is just to have this emotional scene where a switch just changes in him. And all of a sudden he's now like, wait a minute, there's a reason that I do this. And it's because of people like her who have no one to help her. So many movies have had that moment where someone comes up to a hospital bed and they see the reality of what they're doing it, dealing with, whether it's a doctor or an attorney or a family member or whatever. And they just see like, and like, yeah, like that's a really like stressing image, seeing someone with tubes in them and not responsive. Like, we can all appreciate that. That's the baseline. But this movie actually did something really interesting, Joe. Like he had a Polaroid camera and he takes those two Polaroids and he just sets them down on the foot cubby there. And then the the camera frame, like shot, just like zeroes in on those two Polaroids just sitting there. And it's a long shot. It's like 20, 30 seconds waiting for those Polaroids to come into relief. Like the color of them emerging and... I don't know. I think that was a effective trope. Like that was like a really interesting shot because like he could look up above the photos and see her laying there. But if him staring at these photos, he's experiencing that the same way we are. And that's impressive. Like that, that's a great shot. Yeah. And, and Paul Newman showing how good of an actor he is. Like he has this very good, just face acting where Nurse comes in. She's like, sir, you can't be in here. There's no visitors. And he takes him like 10 seconds to respond. And he's just like, I'm her attorney. But like, it's because he's going through such like a, an emotional change at that moment. It's very soon he goes into the settlement conference. He gets to the settlement offer. Uh, this is at the diocese or the, oh. they give him a check, which was, I think, 210,000. Uh, yeah. I did compare that to today on site that was about five hundred and eighty two thousand dollars in today's money <laughs> um, Tough so to walk away from that 
it's it's a good chunk of change. And earlier in a scene when he had been talking to the sister, who's such a heartbreakingly good sister, he had been circling around like 200 to 250,000 is probably what this is like worth. Like he had been circling that on his nose. I'm like, you're right in that range, man. Like, this is what you said. He just has a change of heart. And he's like, you're just going to give me this money. These doctors are going to continue to make mistakes. And you're just going to forget that you ever did anything wrong, which great. I'm glad that you had this sort of change, but you got that much money you got to tell your clients that you got that settlement offer, which technically yep. this client is the person in the coma and not the sister, but you still got to like go over with that. And like, because you can't just make that decision unilaterally by yourself. Yeah. I mean, he flat out, you know, he has his come to Jesus moment uh, with the Cardinal and mind you, like Paul Newman plays this drunk very well, by the way. Like, Oh yeah. He, he's not like stumbling over, He's a uh, functional drunk and Christ, like you can just see those ticks in him being like, yeah, I'm still fucking severely inebriated here, but he's still doing the right thing. But man, as soon as that offer comes to you, you need to phone the sister and her, uh, you know, laborer husband to run up. I am. God yeah. Damn. And I did think it was kind of funny. This priest has like a young priest with him too who's basically acting as like the muscle because he's like standing behind Newman, just like flexing the whole time when he hands him the check. And he, well, we all knew that priest, the hairstyle that he had and being that this was an early eighties movie. He looked like if there was a gang in the warriors, that was like the priests, like that would be what they look like. Like, you know what? That would have been, you know what? That wouldn't have been the coolest gang <laughs> in the Warriors, but it wouldn't have been the lamest. That would have been right in the middle. Be like, oh, you don't want to fuck with those guys. Like, they're swinging rosaries around. Like, they've got a cackle. No, no, no. They've got a, you know, they've got a treatment called holy water that you don't want to know what it is. Uh, it's going to be bad. It's just uh, acid. They just throw just acid, acid on you. Uh, so he turns down the offer. They take it away. His friend comes and he's like, yeah. You didn't take the, the offer? What are you, crazy? And he tells him, he's like, when they settle, that means you've won. So I was like, maybe? I don't, I don't know if that really means that you've won when they settle. I mean, if you want to look at it like that, I guess. But we get a view into the litigation guy for the diocese. Ed Concannon or whatever. Ed Concannon. He is played by James Mason, who's just a very, very accomplished actor. Awesome. And he is... He is so good in this movie. He is such a good, evil, conniving architect of everything, not just the courtroom. Okay, you said evil, conniving architect. I'm going to ask you to not say <laughs> conniving. Yes, evil. <laughs> yes, architect. Conniving, I think that goes a little too far. Like, I, there's a degree of principle to this fucking ivory-powered, just... like, like, big law firm, like, I will destroy you with an affect of a Harvard law professor. And like, he's good. So, I mean, the reason I say conniving is because if he was evil, he would just know how to use the legal process against you, but he's conniving because he'll go outside the legal bounds. And he'll also know like how to like turn the press against you and get spies against you and all those sorts of things. Or, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like buy a woman, you know, Uh, so He's meeting with his like team of lawyers in the boardroom. There's like a, there's at least a dozen of them. Oh Just yeah, young he, like hungry ass Harvard and Yale law grads. Maybe like one like 
NYU law grad <laughs> or like one Michigan law grad. So just to say that we, you know, we've got a state school person. We've got diversity here with all these white people. Uh, though, to be fair, though, there are a number of women like presented like, <laughs> like 82, which is actually kind of like for, for 82. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that, that's impressive. But they start writing down. He's like, this is Frank Galvin. He turned down our offer. I want to know why. I want you to get an article in the press that shows how good our hospital is. I want you to do this, this, and this. Like, it just shows how he, he knows that you don't win these cases just in the courtroom. Yeah, you got to do everything you can. So we've got this, like, table full of world destroyers, like the most ambitious, like, throat slitters you can imagine, like, going over just the how they're going to destroy this poor woman's case. And then it jump cuts between the big table full of attorneys <laughs> right to Paul Newman and the other guy, his, his former mentor, just Mickey sitting in a, in a public law library in a beautiful shot, like with the light draping down. And actually like, when, so what do we know? <laughs> yeah. Actually when you would like look up cases in the book, like would you actually had to go to the library and be like, oh, I got to find here through the Dewey decimal system, like what cases to look up. Mm -hmm. can't just like type it in my computer and see what happens. <laughs> two guys who could use a nap one because he's drank too much and the other because he's just old <laughs> that's the thing paul paul newman is 50 this is his law professor so how old is that guy <laughs> yeah, uh, and he's still grinding too, yeah. which is just like god damn man so yeah so then he's back at the bar and he has this new wave about him because He's now passionate about the case. So he's not just bragging to people because he's going to make a ton of money. He's also like passionate about the law now, which I wondered, he's flirting with Laura. They end up sitting in the bar all night and talking. I'm like, is he passionate about the law in this sequence here? Or is he just trying to kind of show off to Laura about how like cool and noble of a guy he is? Like, I think he is becoming more passionate about his case but at the same time, there's still some of that like bravado that he's trying to like show off to her. Oh, oh sure. Just like there is uh, every other attorney that you ever have the misfortune of encountering where they've uh, worked themselves into believing their own BS on something, yeah. which is commendable for the client's benefit because that's their job. But at the same time, like, dude, can we just talk about the Doobie Brothers or something? <laughs> it's like the worst when you go out with another lawyer and they're like, just won't shut up about their like case or something they're working on. It's like, you've already billed so much for this. This is the time that you don't have to talk about that. Yeah, actually. And, and to listeners, if you ever encounter an attorney who's just rambling on about a case when you're out at dinner or he just keeps, he or she just keeps ranting on about it, just at a certain point, just ask, so do I get to bill for this conversation? <laughs> like, yeah, really. God. He ends up taking Laura home. He has still got a picture of his ex-wife on the bedside table, and they've been divorced for like at least four years by my account. But yeah. She's like, whew, come on, buddy. Good Catholic. Good Catholic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Playing pinball again the next morning, which like With this dude loves pinball. Of Bush Mills and a beer. <laughs> like, Christ, my man. Oh. This is the point where he realizes, oh shit, I'm late. So he has to I rush. This guy going to the bar at 8 a.m. That's what like, it's a good third shift bar where they open up probably like six, like, seven a.m. Roll in in a full suit with my briefcase. I'm just gonna, you know, like have a quick drink at 8 a.m. and then it's like 9 30. 
like, oh shit. It's like, that's a level of alcoholism that we can all aspire to. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, at the very least, he's on top of it. He goes to the pre, like a pre-trial conference with the judge, but he's late. He tells the judge, sorry, I got held up. Which when he's meeting with this judge, uh, one, I point out, uh, I appreciate the commitment to Boston because this judge is Irish as hell. Like he's not even hiding that he's got an Irish accent. Like he is, he's Irish. All the more reason Irish Americans shouldn't hold public office. Like, sorry, Joe, if you may have some Irish blood in there, but uh, y'all clearly are unfit. I mean, I'm white and from the Midwest, so it's probably, you know, a good guess if you say Irish or like German. <laughs> uh, oh, well, throw in German. That's like 80% then. Yeah. <laughs> On all of this, the judge is also the biggest dick. Like he is just not a good guy. Like, I don't know how you felt about him, but I was like, this dude is an asshole. Um, uh, he's- the movie made it pretty clear that he's a bad guy. And <sighs> the judge takes... He's basically on the defendant's side. Like, he's just well, like... And as someone who's done some defendant work, I'm, I'm going to measure that a little bit, but, like, this judge has tabled a conference between the, lead, the attor- leading attorneys for what's sure to be an involved in an emotional trial with high stakes, and the judge, as judges will, will, like, on occasion, ask for a conference beforehand to be like, what can we work out? And instead of the judge trying to play back and forth between them to try to resolve something, he just looks at Frankie, Paul Newman, and just goes, well, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. You're just going to turn that down? And Paul Newman sticks with his newly found choir boy uh, posture. And he's like, no, this is is what we're doing. Yeah. And that, that was the thing where I was like, it's one thing if a judge is like, Let's work something out. And it's playing them, like you said, back and forth to be like, what about if you offered a little bit more? Or you offered something different. And he's just like, he gave you an offer. Why don't you take it? And I'm just like, dude, maybe be a little more impartial here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and that scene is one of several throughout this movie that really drives home. I think one of the thematic points of this is like, it's about the money. Yeah. Even for these people who are looking out for you, it's about the money. And like that scene strips down all, all of the posturing and all the edifice. But like, so here's the money. Like, oh, do you actually even believe in this case? Like, he says something to that effect. Like, and it's just like, God damn, man. Like, oof. The very next scene is plays that even more, like you said, where it's all about the money, where uh, they do some more like voir dire, but then they get into after that. And he's like all excited. He's like, let me get a box of cigars. I'm going to go talk to my expert witness. Going to get him all ready for this. Uh, the husband of the, the sister who hired him comes up and he's just like hits him. He's like, I got to hear from someone else that you got offered this much money. And you said no. Yep. And he makes this great, great line where he's like, you guys are all the same. You do all this stuff. And then you get, you don't worry about the people like us who have to live with your mistakes for the rest of our lives. And I was like, Oh, Frankie has just left the quote unquote newsstand at the courthouse. Courthouses used to have newsstands because they would all have all sorts of newspapers and magazines there because not only is it good for lawyers and people there to be able to grab a newspaper to stay up to date, because that's how you used to know what was going on in the world but also because a lot of people would go through there and just want something to fucking read. 
and they also had candy and chips and cigarettes and cigars. And apparently you could just buy a box of cigars at the courthouse. It's beautiful. Like that's and you could just thing. put it on your tab because they tell me like, yeah. just put it on my tab. He's yeah, like, okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> and, and it's beautiful. Like this whole movie, I mean, it's early eighties. So everyone's still smoking. And even in the courtroom, <laughs> yeah. uh, Actually, not in the courtroom, just uh, in the in the halls. Uh, I noticed that they would have to step. There's a little school. bit of respect. They got to step yeah, out in the halls. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Comes across the husband of the sister of the client, and he's irate. And you're absolutely right. This is the best little soliloquy in the movie. I don't care what stuff Paul Newman makes in his arguments here and there, and there's some good ones too. And he just goes, you guys are all, uh, all the same. And when he says you guys, it's, you know, it, it's attorneys and it's doctors and it's the church. It's all about what we're going to do for you. And yet when you screw up, we're left to pick up the pieces and we're nothing to hear from you. And you say, we did the best we could. That's, I think that is the, I think that's the underlying thesis of this movie is actually to get that point across. Yeah, and it's it's as resonant then it resonates as much then as it does now. And which it, he makes another mistake here. He says, "I'm going to get you a lot more money," which I was like, "You didn't realize what he just said." Don't double down. <laughs> you should have just taken the goddamn settlements, at least by their wishes. Ugh. He he goes to try deposition his doctor, Doctor Goober. He's not there. He finds out that he's on vacation somewhere which i'm like that's sus. that's us i don't think uh, i don't think he got killed but he probably got paid so much money to not I do this he got a vacation well uh, because they were like i mean when you first meet this doctor he's a very noble guy he's like they're bad doctors i want to stop them and then out of nowhere he's just like no he took a vacation so i'm like this dude got paid off yep yep absolutely Absolutely. And then there's like that crippling scene is like asking for him and and the, you know, receptionist taking the calls like, well, this other doctor's available. Do you want him? He's like, no, no. Like I don't, I don't Uh, need someone to be treated. I need someone who's like a good dude to speed on this like serious case. Who's gone through the file. He goes to the judge after that. And he's like, my expert witness has disappeared. I need more time. And the judge is just like tough shit. Sorry, man. Oh, and he rubs it in his face. You could have walked out with $210,000 and you didn't. You're Mr. Independent. Like, oh, yeah. like, like, I like kept just writing out of my this- notes. I'm like, this judge sucks so much. Oh, God. Like, I mean, and with his like old, like New Englander affect and white hair, like he looks like exactly like the guy I would like to see the headless horseman just like flop <laughs> off of. I'm sorry. Like, it, like, it, there's, there's a scene then where Mickey, the friend of Frank and Laura, who's like, now they're not dating, but they're kind of together. She's helping them on the case, but it's just Mickey and Laura in the bar now together talking. With some shitty sandwiches. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like the food looks so disgusting in these movies. Yeah, at but the he's... same time, Joe, I looked at it and was like, I'd have that sandwich. Like, <laughs> oh, I mean, like... I'd eat it. Yeah. But it's always like in like old movies, it's always like a white bread, like, tuna sandwich with just a mound of peas next to it ah what more do you need (laughs) fancy law boy come on and they uh he starts telling her the actual like 
history on Frank. And yeah. he tells her, like, it really wasn't, like, jury tampering that he did. Like, he found out about jury tampering, and he threatened to go to, like, the bar with this. And they basically turned it all around and got him in trouble where he had to resign. He got threatened with jail time and disbarment. Like it very much shows that like when you try to like take on the powers that be like you can get screwed. So it shows that he's actually, he's actually a good dude with a heart. Uh, his wife, his ex-wife was the daughter of like the, one of the partners Managing partner. Yeah. yeah. And so like that was done after he had to quit, like they divorced which I wrote down, so I'm like, Mickey, not really the best wingman in this situation for him because he's kind of saying how, like, he's a drunk. He doesn't care about himself anymore. But I was like, maybe he kind of knows that Laura seems a little shifty, so he's trying to push her away at the same time. That's what he's doing is he's uh, naturally skeptical of this little uh, ruse, if you will, like we all are watching this like, that woman, I don't care like how handsome Paul Newman is. That woman is smoke. She's <laughs> well, I think smoke. she's like a, the actress herself, I think is like a, a model from back yeah, in the I day. Like, she is profoundly beautiful and just like hanging out in this dumpy bar in a shitty part of Boston looking for an apartment. <laughs> like, okay. Mickey knows what he's doing. He says, I don't know what your game is, but here's my boy's story. So what's your game now? If anything, he was actually being a, a good wingman. He's, he's a good Midwestern wingman in that <laughs> trying to like, you know, he's stress testing her. Being like, yeah, what do you say about that now, huh? So then the next scene, we have Ken Cannon with his whole army of attorneys, like really coaching the witness on what to say, like laying out like, that's not what you say, be direct, say exactly this, basically, like almost to the point of just giving him a script. Of what to say yep pretty good witness prep yeah which like it could go like a little over the line where you're like you're yeah. really just giving them a script yeah they learn about paul newman's witness who's I, I can't remember where exactly he's from he worked at the hampton hospital for women i think uh, what's important for the viewers of this movie in 1982 and for the jurors in Boston preceding that is that he's a black doctor who at one point someone refers to him as the witch doctor, which is just. Yeah, I wrote it in my notes. I'm like, any reason that Boston wouldn't like a, a black witness? I can't <laughs> think of any. I can't think of any. Um, Boston has always been at the forefront of- <laughs> They, and Concanon says, he's like, you don't mention that he's black, but let's put a black lawyer on our side at the same time. Yeah. He's like, yeah. okay, good. Yeah, we'll just cancel each other out, right? <laughs> Paul Newman also tries to talk to the nurse there. Mm-hmm. And she has another really good quote where she's like, all you lawyers are just a bunch of whores, which I was like, okay, ouch, fair, but ouch. Um, yeah, but she plays up the same thing as uh, Debbie's brother-in-law. Like she echoes the same thing. You guys are just in it for you. You're just in this for some money. You don't care. Like all the working people in this movie call out the attorneys for what they are. Yeah, no, they're they're really just like your leeches. They they also coach their witness a little bit. They they tell him how it's gonna go. They Ooh, prepare for kind of some cross, but he's like he's not really gonna be the best one, which I. I wrote down in my notes, 
we we only get to the trial and there's this movie's about two hours long and there's already been an hour 15 that's all pre-trial stuff so that was kind of cool to see yeah they then get into bringing up their expert witness to try to say how the doctors were negligent they do a typical sort of review of the record you know what are your qualifications they start disqualifying him like you're not board certified in this you're not board certified in that the judge just starts blatantly questioning him for the defense the judge literally stands up Ask questions like, like he's just like so it wasn't negligent if this happens and the the witness is like well in that very limited example no but yeah. basically and, and that's not what happened here yeah and and judges are allowed to ask their own questions usually that never happens uh but i've been in cases where judges have piped up with a question or two and, and then it also makes it awkward because yeah you would like to object to that judge's question, <laughs> but who are you objecting to at this point? The witness, the opposing counsel? You're like, ah, I, I don't know, but it's they're right. But this judge just goes over the line. And yeah, it, it's clear. Like, I mean, this judge has already been painted as a bad guy. Yes. And, and this, like you said, the scene with the husband and Paul Newman and the like uh, hallway of the court is really good. This scene might be my favorite because Paul Newman just goes, if you try my case, I'd really like if you don't lose it. Then they, he's like, all right, we're going to recess, come back here. And he tries to berate Paul Newman. And Paul Newman's just like, no, 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 I'm not having any of this. I know what you're doing. I know who you are. I know that you couldn't bag it as an attorney. You're a defendant's judge. And just lays it out. And he's like, I'm going to keep trying this case, even everything you throw at me that tries to throw this off. And I'm going to send your ass to like the judge's commission after this. Yeah. And I was like, that's Paul Newman, baby. Yep. Cool hand Luke with a law degree. <laughs> Fucking doing it, man. They get their other, I guess he's an expert witness, but he also was there at the time because it's uh, the doctor who was the anesthesiologist. He brings up like, oh, no, you should have seen her chart. She was anemic. That's why this all happened. And it kind of like floors Paul Newman where I'm like, you didn't have much time to prep, but you, you probably should have been prepared for that. Sure. He had plenty of time to prep. He just didn't do it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the start of this movie, but. So again, it just kind of like loses him. He's like, oh, sh- uh, uh, and so. The, what does he do? The What cardinal sin does he commit? That which is, which is the whole, like do? the whole kind of over arc of this. He's like, you never ask a question that you don't know the answer to is the lesson that Mickey, the law professor and friend of Paul Newman, you can see right there. He's like, you made that cardinal mistake. We then go into the next scene where Ken Cannon is talking. He's saying how like we do all these terrible things to pay for our pro bono and to pay for my whiskey and to pay for you. And he turns, we find out Laura, the woman who's been sleeping with Paul Newman is a mole. She's been revealing As things. If, we did, if anyone was yeah. slowly like rooting for her, like, no, she's going to fix Paul Newman or save this case. And I was like, no, like she's, she, th- there's no reason for her to be there other than a nefarious purpose. Yeah. So. Which I did. I paused on the note. She got paid in today's money about 1600 to do yeah, this. No, I saw the check. It was like 500 bucks like, yeah. for Which... like multiple, like, like she slept with Paul Newman <laughs> a lot and like had to deal with his bullshit. Like, but it's Paul Newman. Uh, uh, okay. Fair. Like a, a lot of women would pay that much if not 
more uh, to do that. But like, come on, man. Like, you know what? Uh, going back to your uh, to our news brief about uh, the uh, Pennsylvania bar official. Uh, listen, sex work is work. Okay, yes. and, and, and you got to respect that. And good lord, did they lowball her on that? Like, she owed them nothing. You ask me, but uh. yeah, because he meant like I don't know if she used to work for him, but he's like, you did law for a while, you got divorced. This will help you get back in the legal practice. Which I was like, yeah, but it's not that much money to do all this. Of course, you know, back in the day, you could probably put a six months rent down for like 400 bucks so like hey it's a start so then they're trying to find this nurse who is the one who initialed her report that she had eaten nine hours before being admitted yes Cannon is unethical but paul and mickey are they're kind of committing a couple of their own nefarious things here too because they're they're lying whenever they call people which okay uh he just breaks into mailboxes at the same time, too, they're, they're doing their own nefarious things. He finally finds by kind of like tricking the head nurse that this nurse lives in New York, goes there. She's now like a preschool teacher. Uh, I thought it was really cool. There's a big Pink Floyd graffiti of the wall behind yeah. them when he was yeah. when he goes to see. He just pretends he's like a dad, like with his kid there. But she figures out like who he is. And he's like, can you help me? She agrees to come testify. He comes back to Boston. Mickey meets him. There's a really cool scene where I like, you don't hear what Mickey is saying, but you can tell from the zoomed out scene that he's saying, Laura's a mole. Like I found out, I found the check in her thing. Like, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure she's a mole. And yeah, Paul Newman, without <laughs> any hesitation, just goes to the bar and fucking decks her, like knocks her to the floor she's bleeding all the like dudes jump up they're like whoa, whoa, whoa what are you doing man what are you doing she's like nah it's it's okay i deserve that yeah with uh, like i mentioned i was watching that with my girlfriend and uh when that happened i just go good and just kind of look at her she goes yeah she had that coming damn right and i'm like eh, okay. he did not hold back on that punch uh and, all, and, and actually my girlfriend actually like apologized she's like and I go, what? No, he hit her. She's like, he didn't hit her that hard. He like <laughs> slapped her. <laughs> I was just like, hell yes. All right. Uh, we're ride or die on this. Let's go, Paul Newman. Uh, so, yeah. Coming. Yeah. And then, and then Mickey tells Frank, he's like, you could get a mistrial off this. You could probably go after Cannon. And I was like, dude, you could probably go after the judge too. Like, you got everything to like get ethics charges or disbarment or suspensions on all these people get a mistrial, but he's just like, Nope, we're going to keep going. I mean, if it was me, I would have done that route. And then you um, probably leverage the settlement up closer to yeah. at that time, point in time, seven figures. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like you're like, okay, you, you did all this stuff. Get a, you bought yourself time to get a better expert. Like, cause you do have a slam dunk case here. Yes. So then he decides to go forward with the trial. We get into where the nurse who wrote on the report, Costello, comes in. She testifies that, yes, well, I did initial the report as nine. That's not what I wrote down. I wrote down a one because that's what she told me. And the wrong anesthetic was given to her because this doctor was said he was tired and he wasn't paying attention and he did it wrong. But he threatened that he would have me fired and never work again if I didn't change it to a nine. 
it's devastating to the defense. Oh, and they can get, their, their butts get puckered up so hard. It's a beautiful scene to see all well, the, of them. Like, whew. It's another iteration of Mickey's lesson where Kincannon asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to. Because he's like, oh, they lied? And she's like, yeah, they actually did. <laughs> like, they yeah, did lie. They told me to lie. <laughs> and this is one of the biggest legalese scenes that I've seen. Because he objects to his own thing. He's like, objection. Uh, you can't enter that because it's a copy and we already have the original. So that one can't be entered. And because of that, that's the only part of her testimony. So we have to get all of this stricken, all of this thrown out. So everything from that surprise witness that's brought in, get, the judge says, you cannot consider that. Cannot enter your mind when you're entering this verdict, which I was like, that was probably one of the most legally scenes I've seen. I watched that. What At that point, I was kind of tired and I was really frustrated by the evidentiary aspect of that. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. So, okay. We've got a nurse presenting an original document that is actually a copy of the original document that we're alleging was altered, which is as a current exhibit. And we can't consider that now, which to be fair, like you probably should have had that earlier in discovery, but you're a rebuttal witness and or a new witness at the late time. And I'm just looking at it like, I, you know, like I'm, I'm not about to do legal research for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> degree, yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to look into like old Massachusetts law on this. No, no not going to go to the common law of the great Commonwealth of Massachusetts, but uh, he makes an objection. And then after, you know, you know, getting beat by her, trying to bring her down on questioning, just he couldn't win with the facts. So he went to the law and procedure and said, wait a minute, your honor. She can't be bringing this shit in here. She can't be talking about this shit in here. It should all be excluded. And the judge kowtows right to it and st- yeah, sure. 12 uh, fucking uh, <laughs> Suffolk County residents to get a bag. Yeah. This fucking guy said we couldn't do it because of a procedural thing, you know? (laughs) So, yeah. So then Paul Newman, like defeated, is just like, well, I got nothing left. So he just makes his closing argument. When you watched this closing argument, did you notice anyone in the background? Hmm. Was Roger Staubach there? No. Okay. I want you to go back and watch this because in the background is both John McClane and Jigsaw. Bruce Willis and Tobin Bell are extras in the courtroom just as people sitting there listening to this closing argument. Well then, yeah, okay. That's worth looking forward to that. God damn, that's a good pull, man. So he he makes his speech. He says these things like, you've heard a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, you are the law. So I was like, yeah, that's that's for, for better or worse, pretty true. It's a good movie moment. It's a very good uh, soliloquy by Paul Newman. He and the jury. That's Lisa, the best closing argument you've ever seen. Oh no, he's basically just he's saying I'm defeated. Like he's saying like I got nothing else. Just please. Just it's a good movie moment, t- but it's not like a good court actual moment. But uh, the jury goes back. I do like how we don't even need to see the defense's closing argument. They're like we're not going to mess around with that. They're just like uh, yeah, we find for the plaintiff, and are we bound? By the damages that you set us and he's just like right no you basically saying you can give them more and i just love that this jury is like yeah 
we couldn't consider that, but uh, fuck you. We're going to give a lot of money. <laughs> well, the jury doesn't have to explain to the judge the outcome. They get like, uh, that's what's beautiful or terrible about our legal system. However you look at it, depending on the case, there could be some inflammatory moment in the court, like yells at the jury. Don't consider that you are not allowed to. And yeah, maybe there's a couple book nerds in there or someone with like an advanced degree being like in the jurors like, well, we shouldn't consider. He told us not to consider that everyone else be like, yeah, man, but come on. Like, are we really going to run through the elements and the factors of these 30 jury instructions? Or are we going to be like, yeah, now they made their point. They come back be like, uh, so they only asked for this much. Can we give them more? <laughs> Which is just like Paul Newman's face is like. <laughs> yeah, I just love the defeated look on the judge where he's just like, yeah, you can give them more if you want. Yeah, because uh, that's pretty much what my job has come down to. At this point. <laughs> yeah, the judge has tried everything he can do to mess up Paul Newman, but he gets defeated, which is awesome. Uh, that's, that's basically the end of the movie. We have a very nice ending scene where he's just, he's just sitting in his office. Uh, Laura is at her room and she's obviously, she's drunk. She spills her drink. She grabs the phone. Service on the bed, classic like sign of like, yeah, you're, you're, you're. she's down bad. She calls him and he just kind of lets it ring and the movie ends, which I love that. And because there's not really a tie up. It's like, is he going to become a noble attorney? Is he still going to be stuck in like his old, like alcoholic sort of ways? I like how there's no focus on the the sister and brother-in-law. It's just like, because it really goes back to that scene where it's like, we have to live with your mistakes. And they did say like, they're going to move away, but it, it doesn't show any sort of like Fucking resolution with them. God damn. <laughs> That's the end. He won. Maybe he's going to become a better person. We don't really know. Okay. A couple things here, Joe. I think the movie is signaling to us that he is going to become a better person. And I'll tell you why. That verdict came out earlier in the day. And they came out and asked, well, uh, we'd like to give more money. And she says, all right, go back in there and figure out how much you want to give him. And then everyone leaves. He goes back to his office. That's where the final scene cuts in. He's got a phone call coming into him. And he's sitting there in the middle of the day after winning arguably the, the most meaningful case of his life. He's definitely, he, yeah, definitely he, the most meaningful. Yeah. He's no longer like a you know partner at a big fucking death star firm in Boston, like crushing people being like, yeah, I want to like, no, like I'm, I'm, I'm the underdog little helping the little guy. As we've established in this movie, I'm going to go to the bar at 8am for a fucking shot of Bushmills. <laughs> but after all of this, he's sitting there, in his office when the phone rings from Laura and he's just drinking a cup of coffee he bought at a street stand. It's true. He's not drinking anymore. No, no, no. He's not. He's having a cup of coffee, which is like candidly like a moment where any attorney who just won that award being like, wait, not only did I win, but like the only thing I'm waiting for is to hear how much more money than I asked for I'm going to get on this shit. Uh, that's a celebration, but he's there solitary, no one around, taking the moment, and he's wondering what that call is. Is it Laura? Is it the jury? Is it someone else? I don't know what it is, but he's just like looking at it contentably. And uh, I think Frankie's going to be okay. 
I hope so. That, hope that's so. my. Yeah, no, I mean, I hope so. I just kind of took it as more ambiguous where he's seen the light, but is he going to like continue down that path? Getting into the like legal points of it, we already kind of talked about it throughout the, the plot rundown, but there's legal aspects of this movie. And if you get an offer matter? for a settlement, you got to give it to your client before saying no. That or was raising it like you, you just have to like that was my biggest legal point with this where I was like, don't just say no or accept an offer without telling your client. And two, my other biggest point was like, don't promise that you're going to get them a lot of money or promise that you're going to win the case. Like as much as like a client pushes, like you cannot say that. Um, but mm-hmm. in my opinion, did those legal points really matter to this movie? I ultimately said no. Because this is an, a really, really good movie and a really great screenplay that I was just like, you know what? I understand why they wrote it like this and why they have that as like his emotional turn. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be that annoying person that's like, well, he has to tell them. Sure, sure. But <laughs> I mean, there's that uh, one of the like, beyond the like weird coaching and some of the like backhanded like client. <laughs> They're definitely client, both sides are not that ethical. Not, oh yeah, no, both sides. The, the thing that bothered me most was the judge in his mm. role in that. I think uh, as outlandish as that seems to us as you know, baby lawyers in this day and age, you know, you like rewind 30 or 40 years. Uh, that seems a lot more reasonable than being like, no, he's just an asshole. He wasn't unethical, but, or, well, not unethical to the point where he could be like, you know, taken off the bench, but uh, name me a single good character in this movie. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I mean like a good person, person. a good sister. person. The sister would really? be the only one I could say. Really? Because like the one who's about to sell out her fucking vegetable sister. But the thing her, is, like, I, because her skeezy labor she, husband got a sweet offer to go to Arizona, and they just want to collect six figures to go there. But I think I think you're Catholic putting that sister. on both of them. I think the husband you could say is kind of slimy because he's like, let's just get the hell out of here, and she might be like more just like agreeable to what her husband wants. But I think she is, she's a good sister where she just, she wants to find a good attorney who's going to help her and her sister and find good care. Cause they do say with the money, they're also going to put her in some other facility that is going to take better care of her. And I think they've been going to there for four years and I understand that she, she understands that she can't do this herself and continue to visit her and give her the care along with the hospital that she needs. And she oh. just wants to have that settlement or case finding where she can just get that and be i understand her wanting to just at that point she has what she needs i can move on the husband i would say he's just like i'm tired of this let's just get some money so we can get the hell out of here i understand that but i would say she's like the one good person in this movie no no, no. and and she and i'm not trying to be combative here she is the closest we get to that (laughs) in this whole thing because let's run down the line defense counsel all assholes. I <laughs> oh yeah. All, all, all the defendant doctors, dickheads. Fine. Uh, plaintiff's counsel, 
Frankie's a shithead. He's a drunk. And like, yeah, he found Jesus, but maybe for his own vanity, it was like, oh, way to come to the party and not be a piece of shit, asshole. Uh, <laughs> like, he hasn't redeemed himself in any respect, uh, nor has his like mentor who wanted to like fucking cash this thing out to begin with. Laura, whatever, like, come on. Like, like she's everyone is shit in some degree, everyone is broken on some level. Uh, and yet we do have a true moral takeaway and message from this. And that's good filmmaking. That's great. Yeah, That's what you get when you have a movie directed by Sidney Lumet. So. Yep. Fucking A. Well, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, like any movie we watch, uh, there are some interesting legal questions here, but uh, for the enjoyment of the movie, I'd say, no, there's nothing that goes so far over the pale where you're like, oh no, that's just a stupid movie. Uh, there, I mean, there's intrigue within that. Surely, if you're a law nerd or a you know a non-law muggle, but uh, Ugh, muggle, we're yeah. not going to bring Harry Potter in. Well, you know, th- those are my people. Uh, you know, said Frithia, it doesn't matter. I still thought it was a very enjoyable movie. Great yeah. movie, honestly. I've got a few questions for you, Joe, before we get further. But the first one, the most important one, is: Does this pass the bar? by heads and shoulders yes for me uh specifically out of 100 i gave this a 92 i love this movie i thought it was awesome that's the highest rating we've had so far in this that is is well-established podcast (laughs) yeah i'm setting a bar in our many many episodes but uh i love this movie so yeah everything hit for me on this i thought it was great what about you i was expecting a stodgy old matlock version of a law movie from this and yeah no i'll give it a i'll give it an 88 which is higher than anything else i've given so far yeah Uh, that is your highest that's even higher than your love runaway jury and i do love runaway jury and we didn't talk enough about rachel weiss this movie is tightly edited it does not waste scenes the cinema is really great You look at the courthouse scenes, they're beautiful. You look in the law library or the law offices where things are shot, they're beautiful. Everything's framed. There's an amazing scene where fucking Paul Newman is desperate trying to find a new expert doctor after they lost their mustachioed, cigar-choking fucking expert who got somehow flown to the Cayman Islands or whatever. For (laughs) He's like bending over on his chair, talking to someone he doesn't know, trying to pitch them. And his protege is just staring out the window. Everything's framed beautifully. If anything, the worst frame jobs are actually in the courtroom. It passes the bar as a non-law movie and as a law movie, super interesting. Like, yeah, uh, it's just super interesting. So a 92 from me, 88 from you, gives us an average of 90, which is... Right now, the clear favorite uh, of, of us here at, on Legal Absolutely. Fiction. Yeah, so getting into our, our usual bit and segment that we do, we do what kind of person would this character be in law school? Oh, I'm excited. We kind of, I would say we kind of already know with Frank a little bit because we saw his resume oh, yeah. uh, a little bit. He went to Boston College, second in his class. He wrote on the law review, all this sorts of stuff. So, I mean, he, he kind of seemed like your very typical gunner, like he was going for the A's in every class. Uh, now, granted, not, he graduated in the 50s, so it was like a, 20 people. Gunner. He's not a gunner. He's just an overachiever. 
<laughs> I think there's a distinction should be made. Someone you know, at the top of their class does not necessarily make them a gunner, Joe. Uh, I Says think, the well, smart person I, on this podcast. I, listen, people have been, if anyone's been listening to this podcast, they know that that's not the truth. Uh, but no, I think he falls more into the Dustin Hoffman category from our last episode in you know, taking on Runaway Jury. I think he is superbly intellectually qualified and can handle things, but he was never the gunner. He was never the dick in your class. Like, yeah, he may have been smug. He may have floated above everyone here and there, but he wasn't a gunner. He wasn't vindictive. That's not his style. I'll tell you who the true gunner is. Here's my yes. <laughs> the true gunner is the goddamn judge. <laughs> When he was in law school, he was looking for people to drop chewing gum and water fountains. <laughs> like that is that guy. Like he agreed. Uh, yeah. uh, I like not only was I mean like he bending over backwards for the establishment or the defense and this and it, you know I take that as well. But Paul Newman's critique of him put it into relief. Like you were one of those big firm attorneys who was good enough to be there, but they still couldn't stand you. And so somehow they got you appointed or elected judge. This guy was a fucking gunner. And if he had ever gotten half drunk at a bar review with more competent people like uh, you know, Paul Newman, if he was in his law class or Dustin Hoffman's character in Runaway Jury, would have just shredded him. But Do you think Cannon was the same then? Not a gunner, no. I, I, I don't believe Ken Cannon was a gunner. Separate the man from the case that he has to defend, okay? Premier talent handling difficult facts and difficult time, and that's his job is to defend them, okay? That's his job. You, I mean, you can't malign the attorney for defending uh, someone who may or may not have done something wrong. That's why we don't, uh, the world should not, you know, piss on public defenders tasked with, honestly some like true criminals who have done terrible things you know and like like, like so that I guess, aside, yeah in the criminal sense yes no 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 but that well i mean, I mean shit i mean like things these guys are accused of are relatively criminal i mean like yeah. it's tough but that being said he was one of those talents exceptional academics who was always polite and always friendly with people he didn't make actually any personal connections with anyone there because he was always too brilliant and or aloof to actually do that. His task in law school as a law student was to be the best, which he did, not necessarily as a gunner. He didn't need to like go after anyone in lecture to be better. He could just, when called upon, say it and everyone knew, fuck, yeah, that guy, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he, he just nailed it. Yeah, I think he definitely was like a very smart and capable. I do see two ways of he either was always kind of very, what's the word, mercurial, like where he, he knew what was like the ticks for other people or how to like get under their skin. And he might not always use it, but he always kept it up in the brain just in case he knew that he just was an observant person like that. He's and I don't, I don't know if that's something he picked no up in law hackman. school. I, yeah. And I don't know if that's something he picked up in law school or he always was, or if that's, he's like a product of the firm where just 
maybe he came in all bright and bushy tailed because he was this intelligent guy. And because of the nature of the firm that he was in, he like slowly became more until he was this sort of like evil sure. architect. Sure. So I think, I think there's two ways about that for sure. Better question, Laura, the honeypot, she went to law school. She's an attorney. What was she? I honestly, I, I don't really know. She doesn't really seem like that passionate about the law or like being a lawyer. Like she's just like, I just need some money to like get back into being a lawyer. So I'm not, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I think we've handled the, who were they in law school question. I'd like to jump next to the motion to strike or what would you like to strike or delete from this movie completely? That's really tough because I really like this movie. You too. I liked how it showed one, a bunch of the stuff that happens before the trial. It's not just a courtroom drama where all our focus is on the witnesses and the evidence and the closing arguments. It's about like the actual like emotional impact that these lawyers have on everyday lives of people where like we have to live with your mistakes when you mess up on this stuff. Yes. So I, I honestly can't think of a scene that I would cut from this movie. Every scene I saw, I like it, it had a purpose that like kept the plot moving for me, even though it was like two hours. And uh, structurally it was well put together. There's no lost scene or lost, like, especially, you know, in, in our modern perspective, like, you know, uh, like we have a shorter attention span. So like <laughs> some of the older movies are more plotting. Like, but my motion to strike entirely is actually the honey pot character of Laura. I'm gonna throw denied. Nope. Denied. She stays in. Can't no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I get as a character. Like, her, why is she remove there? Her, yeah. Remove her from this movie. Is it still a great movie? Oh yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like where it's like her subplot of being like the, the mole or the spy, like it does nothing but to show that Ken Cannon is an evil person, but we already kind of knew that from like everything that he was doing. But it also like, she's the only substantive female character outside of our one witness uh, who comes through in the end. And she is just there to be, a shark and then rightfully her culmination in this is rightfully to get punched in the fucking mouth or slapped however you want to characterize that this legal movie didn't need this honeypot scenario to sabotage or to raise the stakes of this case the stakes of this case were constantly raised by Frankie being a fucking drunk and a fuck up and not preparing and different things happening. We did not like, there was nothing substantive that she did that really derailed it. It was just an excuse to have a woman in the movie, which at the time you needed an excuse to have a woman in the movie. (laughs) So it's more of just a reflection of the fact that like they, there was no position for a woman like to be a co-counsel or a, judge for that matter or anyone to like carry things we the representation for women in this movie was you're the honeypot who's going to screw things over yeah Yeah. or you're the nurse who's like doughy-eyed uh and gets pulled in to testify i get what you're saying a little bit with that like that and in like that late 70s early 80s that was the only sort of role they could have played which is 
obviously shitty. And as a guy, I can appreciate like she's a cool character and she plays it cool. Uh, she's not quite Rachel Vice, but she pulls it off. Like you know, like she, like I mean, she, she's the classic bet noir, but uh, she, she doesn't really add anything. So I think it's okay. I would take that out. Okay, I see. Like the purpose is what you're saying. Like Charlotte Rampling as an actor herself, I was like, very good. Excellent. With that in mind, do you think this film would have been improved with any of these actors? All of these actors were approached to be the main character. Okay. Roy Scheider. Ooh. Frank Sinatra. Nah. Cary Grant. Hmm. Dustin Hoffman. Okay. And Robert Redford. Ooh. Robert Redford would have been too preachy. So I'm going to punch <laughs> him out right now. Uh, Hoffman. That's interesting. A young Hoffman. But that wouldn't have made sense, though. We need, I, I like the idea of an older, grizzled attorney. Shit, man. Like, I, Roy Schneider would have done better. Apologies to the Roy Schneider family. Spencer keeps saying Schneider here. Yes, Roy mm. Schneider would have, Roy Schneider would have made this, because it would no longer be a pretty boy, Paul Newman. It would have been Roy Schneider. That's much more believable. And also, God damn it, Roy Schneider is one of the most underrated actors in all of Hollywood history, and he would have killed. Yeah, I mean, I think all of them would have been great. I obviously loved Paul Newman in this. The interesting thing I saw, because Paul Newman was born in the 20s, Dustin Hoffman and Scheider were born in the 30s. They approached Cary Grant. He was born in 1904. Yeah, so that's he, not going to work. Like, so he would have been like an old attorney where it's like, do you really still need to be practicing? <laughs> yeah, like that, isn't he Hugh Grant's dad? Uh, editor's note: No, he's not. Maybe I have no idea. Uh, uh, let's just go with it. That's uh, that's uh, legal fiction canon at this point. Um, the first time I encountered this movie, it, it was actually in my evidence class, and he showed the scene for the purposes of. Uh, talking about how negotiations are not admissible in law. Watched it and was like, God damn, that was a really intense five minute scene. And it was the scene between Paul Newman and the Cardinal. And yeah, I was like, I need to watch this fucking movie. This movie is wildly excellent, especially for the early eighties. Very good. They're like, not only in how it's shot and paced and how it looks, but like quite frankly, most movies from this era don't look that good or they don't Beautiful have anything movie. to say. And it takes on the Catholic Church uh, five stars on that end. <laughs> yeah, so uh, agreed. 92 for me, uh, 88 from you for a 90 overall. So definitely passes the bar. Uh, so I would encourage, I think both of us would encourage anyone out there if they're listening to this and they haven't seen it, to go see it. Uh, but from Spencer and myself, remember, never talk to the cops, never go to law school, and none of this is legal advice. Oh, yeah. It's gonna be fun.